Welcome back to That's Ancient History. Today we are here for the fourth in my Ask a Classicist series and today I'm joined by Emma Hello. from the YouTube channel and I guess Instagram as well because we're mm-hmm. all over social media these yeah, days. <laughs> Drinking by my shelf where she chats literature as well as being the creative producer over at Pan Macmillan which was actually a job I used to do. Yeah, so. following yeah. in your footsteps. Yeah. Oh. Well, handed it over to the right person is all I can say. <laughs> so um, thank you so much for joining me and agreeing oh, to... Thanks for inviting me. Quiz me. Yes. <laughs> but essentially, this is your podcast today, so you get to okay, ask me questions. Okay, so my question's up. Okay. So my kind of experience with Greek myths is, I used to know them a lot when I was younger, because my dad's a classicist, so basically like, he, my bedtime stories when I was growing up, he would tell me Greek myths, and I absolutely loved them. Um, and then kind of forgot all about them. But in the last few years, there's been like Circe and A Thousand Ships, all these like really cool books that are feminist retellings, and it's just re-inspired me to fall back in love with them. Yes. So because <laughs> of that, my first question is, the, the fact that these stories, these kind of feminist versions, are like putting women back into the story, mm. I've only, my first knowledge of these myths was obviously from English translations Mm. and like, you know, they were retellings in their own way. Yeah. Did the original Greek stories have women as a bigger part of the story and they've been kind of written out over the years by our retellings and are now being put back in? Does that question make sense? It does make sense. I think there's not like a straightforward answer though. And I'm sure like lots of people would have different opinions on this, but immediately I just think about... I think there's lots of ways you can say that Greek women are actually very present in the ancient sources in other ways that they're not. And although I don't know if necessarily like modern translations and scholars over time have written women out, they've definitely changed our perception of the women in the books. So um, I don't know if you know Emily Wilson's translation of the Odyssey, which is the first English translation of the Odyssey published by women. Okay, So it came out a couple of years ago, or was it last year? Quite recently, in relative terms. And one of the things that was, like, very much a part of her translation was her pointing out a lot of the sexism in traditional translations. Mm. So the way that um, Helen is often translated as being a bitch, like, literally using that word. When it's actually... I think, according to her, a Greek word that says dog-faced, and it's a word that doesn't really have gendered connotations. It's also used for men. So okay. it's, whereas, like, obviously, bitch has these traditional yeah. sort of, like, female kind of derogatory connotations. So there's a lot of stuff like that happens. And then I think, like, stuff in modern media, so, say, like, films um, often focus on the male heroes. Yeah. Not that they're not the focus... It's hard, because not that they're not the focus. So the Odyssey yeah. is obviously about Odysseus, but it does feel very much as if um, modern media, like TV and film, picks up on the stories about men more often than it does about women. Yeah. Because those books, like Circe and A Thousand Ships, that material is there. Like, it does exist in the ancient evidence. Um, sometimes it is a matter of extrapolating it from male-led narratives, but, like, it's there. And okay. I think that was something that Natalie Haynes actually said about uh, her first Greek myth retelling, The Children of Jocasta, that, mm, I love that she was just sort of reminding us that these women were there rather than creating whole new stories about them that never existed in the first place. Yeah, because I guess in the original stories, and you get that from A Thousand Ships as well, like, there's so many women there, and mm. they, have, they have such an important, like role to play in what yeah. happens so even if you don't 
always hear their perspective. So like you can't take them out of the story because no. so I mean, you know, the whole like <laughs> Trojan War happens because of a woman. Like along the way there's so many things. But a lot of the time the stories that I remember from when I was younger is kind of like women reduced to if you need the wind to change, you sacrifice one of your daughters, and it's like that's not, a, that's not a great role to play. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that's what modern meteorologists just do in yeah. their spare time. I was very nervous because my dad recently went and sailed to the Atlantic, <laughs> and he was saying at the beginning, like the first week, the wind wasn't going in the right direction for them, and I was like, I'm really glad that I'm not near him right now because I know he knows these stories, I know he knows what to do. But then, if that happened, he would then get murdered by your mum. That's true. So, that's true. So that's revenge. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned Emily Wilson. Is she the one? I don't know if this is the right person, but I saw a Twitter thread about a year ago that was about the sirens and about how they um, were kind of translated as that they sing, that they're like very beautiful and seductive. Yeah. And actually, she was saying that if you look at the original words, it it's more closely translates that they were like just giving knowledge was that her i i don't know if i know that particular thread but okay. that sounds like her and also that that's that's in the odyssey so that okay. would make sense actually right. and i have seen stuff about the sirens it's inter- interesting actually things like um medusa or the sirens or like other sort of female monsters slash creatures in lots of they, they sort of go backwards and forwards between being beautiful but in other sources they're they're not they're kind of just well, they don't. Their their aesthetics aren't really like a big part of it. But mm. often, then in modern perceptions, we always think of them as really beautiful because it's that double edged sort. I guess of like the, that beautiful evil that yeah. draws you in. Although actually, in saying that, beautiful evil is literally the Greek term. Uh, it's kalon kakon that's used to describe uh, Pandora. So the first woman is literally a beautiful evil. Wow. Yeah. Well done, us. <laughs> that's so funny. And I feel like we have, even if you look at like fairy tales and stuff, like the, with Cinderella, she either has, uh, we know them kind of as the ugly stepsisters mm. from the Disney versions, but actually the older versions had them as the like surly beauties. Yeah. Like, I feel like we're just kind of obsessed with being like ugly souls, beautiful faces. Yeah. And then I just kind of, we just need to get over this whole yeah. sort of image thing, right? Yeah. Like, as if it has any bearing on somebody's personality. Yeah, it's very weird. It's weird. So there's... A lot of the stories have these really powerful women as goddesses mm. and stuff. What was the role of women, like, in actual ancient Greek life? Like, were they oppressed in the same way that, like, later generations were? And if so, like, why were they so willing to worship... Like, men would worship yeah. female gods... So I think what's interesting about female gods is, I mean, yes, they're female, but almost you think about them as they're not human, and they're Mm. really, like, women aren't really seen as the same as female gods. It's like, gods are just so apart from humans that having powerful female gods, although, I mean, at the end of the day, the king of the gods is still a man, is not Mm. really a reflection then on, like, the lives or roles of women. Plus, well, I mean, not all of them, but a lot of the female gods, obviously have power over feminine things like marriage and the household and um like childbirth which are then given the respect they're due apart from i suppose athena has has like more like masculine connotations but they just they're just like it's really difficult and i don't really have the words for it but they're just sort of not really women they're just female goddesses okay if that makes sense yeah and yeah it kind i mean it kind of sucked to be a woman yeah. in antiquity. I mean, it's so all over the place. Like, women have different roles in Sparta, from Athens, from um, Gorton in Crete. Like, loads of different rights and responsibilities, but overall, they're still 
second class citizens okay. to men. So, like women in classical Athens couldn't ha- couldn't represent themselves in like legal proceedings. They had to have a male guardian. Uh, they couldn't have extramarital sex, even though men could. They generally speaking they were supposed to be confined to the household the extent to which that's actually true of everyday life is unlikely because women probably had to go to the market but like the ideal woman stayed in the house right and like was quiet and nobody looked at her yeah (laughs) that's all great and fine but yeah not really the same like rights as male citizens had she couldn't vote she couldn't do any of those fun things that we get to do now yay progress (laughs) what's happened um, and talking of powerful women, my dog, who's hiding somewhere, is called Hippolyta. Yay! But I don't really know anything about Hippolyta. Just, oh, I just thought it was a cool name. Fair. <laughs> so I just guess I want to know, really, who Hippolyta was. Hippolyta was an Amazonian queen. So the Amazons were a race of, like, warrior women. Um, again, I guess in a way they're sort of like a, f- a manifestation of a fear about women, but they're not really, again, women. They're sort of like, again, like a sort of mythological other um, that lived in like the wilds and only ever interacted with men every now and then when they sort of ventured into the cities, had sex with them, got pregnant, (laughs) went back to the wilds and then if they gave birth to sons, they gave them back to the men and they would keep the daughters and raise them (laughs) to be warriors. But they were also the daughters of Ares, god of war. So I think the reason that Hippolyta in particular is famous is because of um, Heracles' 12 labours. Yes. So you know, he goes off on his like, mm. 12 tasks and he has to get the Nemean lion, he has to uh, get Cerberus from the underworld. And one of the things he has to get is the girdle mm-hmm. of <laughs> Hippolyta, which is sort of like a belt. Yeah. But, I mean, lots of people just think it means he had to have sex with her. So oh, okay. Like, like a stripping down. Right. Um, depends, I guess, on your interpretation. But Heracles goes to get Hippolyta's girdle, and when he gets there, Hippolyta falls for him because mm-hmm. he's a handsome, strong half god. Yeah, <laughs> Why not? And she's like, fine, yeah, have it. I don't really mind. However, he's on the bad side of his dad Zeus's wife Hera, who's his stepmom, yeah. and Hera's constantly trying to undermine him at every every turn. So she turns herself into Hippolyta, like she puts on a disguise to make oh, okay. herself look like Hippolyta and attack Heracles, and he thinks he's been being betrayed, so he then kills the real Hippolyta. So it's oh, all very tragic. Okay. <laughs> uh, but she also has a son with another Greek hero called Theseus, whose name is Hippolytus, and he has like his whole own storyline when his stepmother falls in love with him and that's like a wow. that's a Greek play by Euripides and okay. it's all very dramatic if you want to and read Theseus it. And Theseus killed the Minotaur. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. have to think for more. You're right, all connected. Yeah. Okay. All the Greek myths are so intertwined. Yeah, I loved that reading Circe. I hadn't realised yeah. like so many characters showed up, like Jason from the Argonauts and, and like Odysseus's son. That's such a good demonstration yeah. of sort of the way that quite often with women they appear in men's stories. Yeah. And that means they're around for lots of different stories, but then you take the narrative and switch around, so she's the centre. Yeah, I and that. suddenly that was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, oh, so Heracles, I always liked him from the film Hercules, mm. but he killed my dog, so I <laughs> can't like him anymore. Yeah, he did a lot of kind yeah. of nasty things. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Disney's Hercules is such an epic film, and it's I love so it, and the songs are amazing, and I'm so glad it makes people interested in classics, but Heracles himself did a lot of pretty nasty things. Yeah. Lots of rape. Yeah. Not gonna lie. That's always the way. But your dog has an excellent namesake. So. Yeah, she does. Okay, I'm pleased. <laughs> um, oh. So 
women were second class citizens. Mm. What about racism? Did that work the same way as it does now? Like, were people considered lesser because of their skin colour? Or was it more just to do with, like, being from a different country? Because I know... Well, I don't know if this is true. It's a fact (laughs) that I've, like, heard that the word barbarian mm. came from literally just, like, the fact that the sounds of someone speaking a foreign language was, like, bar bar bar. Yeah. Is that true? That is true. That's really cool. So this isn't my area of expertise. Women definitely strays more into, like, yeah. my research. But um, something I've been looking at more recently is sort of othering and mm. barbarianism, which, again, you'd probably have to consult somebody <laughs> with more expertise than me on, like, how similar that is to say like a modern day form of racism but there's definitely to a certain degree a sort of us versus them and that could be a race thing or it could be an ethnicity thing or sort of like a a neighbouring people so there's um, a lot of tension between like the Persians and the Greeks they had some wars between them and because of that what goes on is something that a scholar called Edward Said talks about is Orientalism now he's talking about more like modern phenomenon and sort of like the uh, West's interaction with the East but it's something that scholars have looked at in terms of antiquity as well where we in the ancient sources talk about the Persians as like really indulgent um, non-democratic so if it's the Athenians saying like they're like oh they're tyrants and they like are live really lavish lifestyles and it's sort of to paint them in this really um, opposite light to yeah. sort of make them seem lesser I guess and like you said that word barbarian comes from the idea that they were speaking a a language that the Greeks didn't understand so they would just go bar 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 in the same way that like I can't think of a modern equivalent of that but yeah it's quite belittling isn't it and it's very much like my culture is better than your culture Mm. and I think particularly the Athenians did have quite a strong sense of like self-importance they were very much going around going we're the best you should do what we say yeah um and slave culture was massive in ancient Greece yeah but that wasn't exclusively like a racial thing because for example the Spartans had actually more slaves than citizens Basically, the way that they were able to live this society that meant that they could constantly be training for war was that they got the slaves to do everything, like farming, any sort of necessary labour. And where did those slaves come from? Literally next door. Okay. So the Greeks would enslave other Greek city-states when they took them over. Like, the Athenians would... uh, For example, the Athenians and the Spartans went to war at one point, but um, there is histories of... The Athenians enslaving other Greek city-states. Uh, after the Trojan War, the Greeks enslaved the Trojans. Yeah. It, they just enslaved everyone, but oh. although there was always those objecting to it, even then. Um, were there? So people even then who, who realised that was wrong? Yeah, there are some sort of philosophical texts that sort of say that we shouldn't live in a slave society, mm. but they didn't quite catch on, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, it was still a pretty big thing. And then into the Roman Empire. <gasps> Hello, Hippolyta. Here she comes. <laughs> <laughs> she, heard, she heard us talking yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, again, awful place to live. Yes. Uh, yeah. Basically. Uh, yeah. What I, what I thought was interesting, though, recently when I was reading about barbarians was um, Edith Hall's book called Inventing a Barbarian, where she talks about how that sort of like Persian Greek dynamic wasn't always there and she sort of talks about how the whole concept of a barbarian gets in- invented 
because for ages it was sort of even though they thought they were different from one another there wasn't like an innate hatred or an innate like we are better because we are not them mm-hmm. um, but that does come along okay so one of the things that the ancient Greeks are quite famous for but in a way that I think is like quite misunderstood misrepresented is people often say like oh that they were so progressive about being gay but everything that I read about it I'm like that doesn't like this just sounds like a whole different thing yeah um I th- I, I know I remember that was like always a hot topic of not necessarily debate but people wanted to talk mm. about it a lot when I was at university um because there was like a big part of Greek culture Again, I use Athens for a lot of my references, mainly because it's my area of research and also because it's the place we have the most evidence from. Mm. Like, they were writing things down left, right and centre. And um, men had sex with men. And that was just, like, the done thing. Yeah. That was completely acceptable. There was sort of social layers to it. So, like, there was an idea that, like, sort of aristocratic men shouldn't, like, have, like... um, sex with someone of a, like take the passive role in sex with like someone right. of not their social status so there was lots of like levels and layers to it but it was happening it was like cool it was part mm-hmm. of the status quo but like women were not allowed to have sex with other women okay that w- was not cool and it's yeah. not to say it didn't happen because we all know about Sappho yeah who was this Greek poetess from Lesbos. Yeah, great. <laughs> like, it existed, but it wasn't part of society because really, I think, women's sexuality was only seen in terms of how it served men. Yeah. So if it was to be a wife who could procreate children for them or if it was to be a prostitute who could like provide them pleasure outside the marriage, mm. women's sexuality was very, very, very heavily restricted. And yeah. Like I said before, like, women weren't allowed to have extramarital sex, with like before marriage during marriage it was like super illegal yeah (laughs) um but yeah i mean men could have sex with men but it wasn't like you could you couldn't marry a man you were still expected to marry a woman to have children um but no one would frown on you like if you popped off to the gymnasium and like took a lover (laughs) and it was kind of like yeah so if you could you kind of be open about attraction to men? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's in a Plato's Symposium, he talks about how it would be better to have an army formed of lovers where all the men are lovers. Okay. Because then you're, like, fighting alongside the man you love and therefore right. will, like, fight harder to protect him. Yeah. So like it wasn't in... hidden at all. Okay. Yeah. Because when I was kind of reading about it, the most common, like, situation I came across was the kind of older man mm. teaching a young boy. Yeah. And then also having sex with him. And I was like, that yeah. feels like <laughs> a whole different area. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing too. It's okay. called, I mean, it's called pederasty. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's thought of in different terms in ancient Greece, but it was sort of meant to be this kind of like older man sort of harkens young man into like m- maturity. Um, and it does seem as if there was a sexual component, but it's mm. really hard to sort of pin down exactly what that was. Um, but... They, I don't think they really also had a concept of sort of age of consent either. Like yeah. women were married off at 12 and stuff. Right. So I'm sure there was plenty of abuses of power in those situations yeah. as well. Uh, what Really funny. I don't know why this is really funny. <laughs> but there's this thing about Greek vase paintings that people always point out. How you see male lovers on vase paintings all of the time. Like super popular okay. on vases. But they're never having anal sex. They're always having what is called intercrural penetration. 
Okay. I don't know when, what point in my life I thought I would be describing this. Yeah. I think I know what this is, but (laughs) I want to hear you describe it anyway. (laughs) They like, I rub like their penis between the other man's legs. Yeah. Okay. So that's on all of the vases. Like Mm. it's like super popular topic of painting. So weird. Because it's seen as civilized, whereas even though men probably were having, you know, sex, it wasn't put on the vases because that was a bit more like uncivilized. Yeah. Okay. That's all, it's all those things about sort of like, what you present as your culture but what is actually happening under the surface yeah 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 that's interesting okay well that's kind of different from what I thought it sounds I mean nicer I don't know if that's the right (laughs) word like I like the idea that maybe they they were like accepting of like homosexual attraction between men though obviously it's not great that that didn't include women and that that didn't include like that they would be allowed to get married or anything yeah I think they just didn't think of sexuality like Mm. they didn't have a concept of really sexual preferences right you just were assumed that you would have sex with men and women if you were a man and if you're a woman you would have sex with your husband and that's it and that's it yeah Yeah. (laughs) um and then i think like the the pederasty thing again i would consult someone that's more of an expert in that but i mean there are is probably a lot of bad stuff to be said about that (sighs) and are there other ways that the ancient greeks were more progressive than we are now so i mean I wouldn't say this is more progressive, but what's incredible to me sometimes is that the Athenians invented democracy, okay. yet it then went away for a really long time. Right. Obviously, we have democracy again today, yeah. although debatable um, sort of how democratic it is sometimes. And ancient Greek democracy only included men, again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and free men, so no slaves, no mm-hmm. women. But if you sort of just think of it in terms of everyone they considered a citizen had a role to play, could vote on everything, as if it was like a referendum every day. Oh, wow. It wasn't okay. like politi- politicians. It was yeah. everyone votes every day at okay. like courts and everything like that. And just, I think the fact that that sort of then died out was mm. a bit funny and then sort of comes back again. Yeah. I think it's just sort of a demonstration of like how history is not really linear. It doesn't just like get better or worse in a straight line. Yeah. It's like squiggly wiggly. Yeah. Which can be reassuring when it feels like things are getting worse. It's like, it will get better again. We can pick it up. Yeah. Pick it up. (laughs) Just like bad luck if we're in the like trough and the peak is after we're dead. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Things worse. And that's that's even if we can sort of deal with the whole global warming thing. Yeah, that's true. Might not come Mm. back around. They had (laughs) less global warming in ancient Greece. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Did they recycle? Yeah. Um, I mean, they, had, they didn't have disposable plastic. Yeah, so, so they didn't really need to. Yeah. <laughs> or fast fashion. Yeah, they were just they were doing it well. Yeah. Actually, funnily enough, I remember, like, just a random fact I always remember from my undergrad was that before the Industrial Revolution, the greatest levels of pollution were during the Roman Empire. Really? Because they were obsessed with deforestation. You're just like cutting trees down yeah. like right instead. Oh my god. <laughs> so it was really bad. For, I don't, is that pollution? But really bad for the environment. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, there's always there's always thinkers saying interesting things. So there were certainly philosophers probably saying some interesting things mm. that were progressive and we might think are great ideas today, but it's just like what was actually in action. Yeah. 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 Like which of the greek myths do you think feel most relevant to today to like problems that people go through today i think i think all of them have like a have a way i mean i think cassandra is an interesting one is like an early example of a woman who no one believes so she's the one who can see the future yeah yeah but she's cursed because she refused apollo 
he cursed her to see the fortune but never be uh, never be believed. So yeah. she sees the future, but literally no one ever believes her. So she's constantly like, we're doomed. This bad thing's going to happen. And everyone's like, shut up, Cassandra. Yeah. And it is like a very, a, like, sort of early example of, like, silencing of women's voice. I don't know if that's mm. the intention really with the original myth, but I think, like, from a modern perspective, you can read it that way. Yeah, um, Kind of same with, like, the Medusa narrative where basically she is punished for being raped. Yeah. So that sort of plays into the whole sort of victim-blaming issue that we still kind of... Yeah deal with today um i think if anything the greek myths just show us that the same problems kind of were keep happening yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah humans have always been humans and we're not very nice no, but we can be but we, we can, can be. be yeah we're capable of both bad and good <laughs> that's good i have to be hopeful <laughs> which brings me to my next question which was about role models oh. who do you think are good role models and both like male and female because i think like People like Achilles were kind of the heroes at the mm. time, but actually, I don't think Achilles would be a good role model for a, a young boy yeah. right now. So, who do you think would be? Great, I, I love that. That's such a good idea. I feel like I, could, I want to sit down and write like a little paper on this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, from my perspective, I love Sappho, mm-hmm. like big old lesbian poet, just like being yeah. herself. Awesome. Um, there was this uh, f- woman philosopher slash scientist called Hypatia who was like epic she also- showed up in the good place yes that's how I know I her know. played by uh, Lisa Kidron yes <laughs> so good I loved that I was so pleased when yeah. Chidi was like oh my god is Hypatia here yeah yes Hypatia get your juice <laughs> she is awesome um I'm trying to I don't know do you know who I really like I mean I don't know everything about his life I don't want to but there was this guy called uh, Lucretius who wrote a book of philosophy based on Epicurean philosophy and I just think there's a lot of solid stuff in there okay cool (laughs) just like some good stuff I have a soft spot for Epicurean philosophy yeah that's what I wanted to say I'm trying to think of like good male role models for like a young boy I mean look up to Sappho yeah regardless of your your sex Um, but it is hard I feel like I because a lot of the things I feel like they valued are things that I wouldn't want. If, yeah. I, if I had a son now, I wouldn't want to teach them to value those things. Yeah, I mean, Achilles' whole thing was like, it's better to die with honour than grow old and have yeah. a happy life. <laughs> that sounds the, the opposite. <laughs> it's not great, is it? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I like Patroclus, yeah. but that's like, just from the song of Achilles, yeah. I like Patroclus. He does seem nicer. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> well, we could just have our own version of Patroclus. Yeah, it's, yeah. It doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> Um, so the, my final question was just I've been absolutely loving these books I've loved mm. Cersei and A Thousand Ships and Song of Achilles and all of those what should I read next? Okay Okay. have you read The Penelope Ad by Margaret Atwood? I have, yes, okay. I love right. that one Move on <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have read them all uh, Wait by Jeanette Winterson Okay, I haven't read that That one's brilliant It's not actually a sort of retelling of a myth about women but it's a retelling of the story of atlas who is the titan who was cursed to hold the world on his shoulders so uh, after the war between the olympians and the titans and it's basically jeanette winterson sort of imagining atlas's life from like ancient times when this first happens to him through the actual stuff in the mythology but then up into the modern day as he's still there, sort of right. holding oh, the planet. Okay. Oh, that sounds and cool. And it's so good. I love it. I just, I don't know, there's something about it. I really should reread it, actually. Mm, that sounds like a good one. Okay, oh, that's my list. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, 
talking about Medusa, there's one called Hear the World Entire, okay. which is a novella by Anwen Hayward, who actually interviewed on the podcast, and it's about Medusa. So okay. it's after she's been turned into a gorgon, so after um, her rape by Poseidon, um, and she's sort of living a reclusive life in a cave trying to avoid humans so she doesn't turn them into stone, but then a man comes and pretends to befriend her, and you know as a reader it's uh, Perseus who's actually come to kill her. Right. And it's sort of all about, like, what it's like to be a victim and go through that trauma and yeah. then sort of feel apart from the rest of yeah. society. And it's well, really, that sounds really sad. Good. Okay. It I is. Mean, I mean, so is a thousand ships. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're all quite sad, aren't they? <laughs> they're all, Cersei's kind of like got a hopeful ending, Cersei's doesn't Cersei's an it? empowering one, yeah, yeah. which I really liked. Because it, it's quite rare. It's quite rare. Even in modern stories, I feel like it's rare to get female stories where we come out at the end on top. Yeah, a lot actually. of it. Because I think there's value in both. Like, I like reading books that show how hard it is to be a woman because you feel like represented but also when you read too many of them you're like can someone can I just read one where something good happens <laughs> yeah, where's to me? the hope isn't it oh okay then here's one it's not like the other ones because mm-hmm. it's not set in ancient times okay but a modern book I read recently was called Orpheus Girl mm-hmm. and it's a contemporary novel so it's not even got any sort of mythological fantastical elements about two uh, teenage girls who realise that they're in love with one another so mm. they're coming out as gay except they're only coming out to one another because they okay. live in like a rural southern American town that would very much ostracise them they've seen mm. it happen to other kids that have come out and they then get discovered and they're sent to a conversion camp oh okay and it's framed like Orpheus and Eurydice so one of the girls sees herself as going to the conversion camp to save the girl she loves and, oh, and wow. rescue her and I mean I don't want to spoil it but it does have a hopeful note okay it that is not just lovely. pure I mean it's hard yes <laughs> it's yeah. a conversion camp yep. not a cheery but it place. has a hopeful note okay yeah. I will read all three of those and I'll okay. finish on that one so that I finish happy <laughs> <laughs> wait actually that's quite nice ending. okay well that's good too. yeah I'll okay awesome that. I'll read all three of those I don't know if you're going to have silly noises of hip- Hippo just like came up to the mic and then started licking. Because <laughs> it's like weird noises. She wanted to be a part. She really wanted to be a part. She was I, like, women's voices, I'm here. I have a voice. I am Hippolyta. <laughs> Come on, th- those were my questions. Thank those you so much. Great questions. They definitely got me thinking. I know, I'm probably going to come back as well, like later in my mind, and think, oh, I should have said this. Yeah. This would be a great role model. Yeah, oh my God. Text me more role models. <laughs> well, maybe we can uh, share some on Twitter after the episode goes up. Yeah, that so. sounds good. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you again, Emma, for joining me. You can check Emma out, like I mentioned, at Drinking by My Shelves on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and you can check the podcast out on Twitter at That's Ancient. And until next time. <laughs>